Hello, welcome to Research, Rank, Repeat. I'm your host, Alyssa, joined by my co-host, Hannah. Hello. I was going to say, are you going to say anything? No, you were doing such a lovely intro, I was just going to let you go. Wow. So thoughtful of you to do that. Thank you. So now, we finally reached the end. We're here, and we just have our book four core discussion, and then we will discuss the show, and then we will rank. So, let's talk about book four. Book four of Korra is called Balance. Balance. You gotta keep your balance, <laughs> Hannah. I did not guess this one right. You did not guess this one right. You were very incorrect. Do you have a summary for us? Okay, I'm sorry, this is just... I need to take a deep breath. <laughs> okay, book four, Balance, set three years after the previous season. Book four deals with Avatar Core's journey of self-discovery, following the physical and psychological injuries she incurred in the fight with Zaheer, and with unrest in the Earth Kingdom, where Kuvera, formerly a security officer, sir... <laughs> Six. Just just take that sentence again. <laughs> just and with unrest in the Earth Kingdom, where Kuvera, formerly a security officer, seeks to seize power. <laughs> I hear you laughing. I was got it. You were so close. Okay. You just That's read? it. You just have. You have like two more words okay. left. <laughs> I can't. You gotta do okay, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Set three years after the previous season, book four deals with Avatar Car. <laughs> okay. Okay. Give it to me. Okay. Set three years after the previous season, book four deals with Avatar Korra's journey of self-discovery, following the physical and psychological injuries she occurred in the fight with Zaheer. And with unrest in the Earth Kingdom, where Kuvira, formerly a security officer, seeks to seize power by military force. Where did you find that description from? I found that description on wikipedia.com, the world's most trusted web source. (laughs) Of course. So, I'm going to talk about some production things with book four specifically. As we know, in book three, at a certain point all of the episodes were moved online, exclusively aired online. This would continue throughout the entirety of book four. Not a single episode of book four aired on television. It only aired online and only really on Nick's website. Oh, so the entire season was The entire season Hmm. premiered start to finish. Now, I want to talk about something you were annoyed with you were not happy with how it happened and why we had to watch a clips show episode. Episode, I believe it's eight, Remembrances, is a stereotypical clip show episode where the characters reflect on the past and you get scenes from previous seasons or books in this case and, you know, characters will provide additional commentary, Avato. <laughs> Avatar had its version of the clip show, but in the form of the play. Right. But they didn't have to use, like, reuse animation. They made all their own, and they did, like, a version of that. 
Well, and a lot of shows do this episode. It's very common in cartoons and like anime do this type of thing. They have an episode that's like a let's reflect on what's going on and, you know, refresh people and whatever. So here's why it had to happen, though, and why it aired in a very weird placement. Because it was like in the middle of the season. It wasn't at the end. Normally it's either at the very end of, or right before the finale or at the very beginning of a season. It's generally when they do a clip show episode. I feel like that's what threw me off the most. Was because normally you don't do it when you're in the chunk, like the thick of your plot. Yeah. And I felt like it was just so randomly thrown in there. And it was kind of just 20 minutes of me wanting the next episode to start. I looked up some information online. Um, I went to both of the creators of the show, Break. They both had Tumblr accounts at this time that they would post information and art and whatnot. And so before this episode came out, Brian posted a, um, a post that talked about why this had to happen. So during their production of book four, their budget was significantly slashed just during it. They didn't have any warning. It just happened. So they really only had two options. They either were going to have to let go of some of their staff before the end of the show, or they had to make a clips episode episode so they could save on animation budget. And clearly they weren't going to fire their staff right before the show ended. Also because they needed them for the finale. They did what they could and made uh, the best of a bad situation. And also, like, the, the part with the Varric stuff was fun. Yeah, we kind of said each, there was three different segments, and each one got better than the one before it. And I agree, like, the Varric part I did enjoy. But also, it's just, I would have rather seen 20 more minutes of plot. And here's where you're going to be a little upset. Because what we ended up losing is Kuvira backstory. See... That was one of my biggest issues with Kuvera, is that besides little segments of her and like Sue, I didn't feel like we really got backstory. I would have loved to have an episode of backstory. Yeah, that was, um, they had mentioned that they would have liked to give, to devote more time to giving her a backstory. So that's what that Times episode probably would have been spent towards. And so that's all I have specifically about the production cycle of book four, and as we've learned, the producers were not kind to the show and the process of making the show as compared to something like Avatar. It was a very disjointed and, at times, I'm sure, frustrating production process. Right. So I think just, if I'm kind of going into my first thoughts, I didn't think there was going to be a three-year time gap. I thought maybe half a year to a year max. And I think what happens when you get a gap that large is you spend the first couple episodes just trying to figure everything and catch up on everything. Um, it happened with Young Justice. Yes. It happened with, I know you haven't watched One Tree Hill, but they did a huge time jump too. And it always takes away from the first couple episodes for me because I'm just sitting here trying to figure out what everyone's been up to, who these new characters are, and just in general, the timeline is so um, hectic mm-hmm. that it just takes you a while, I think, to catch up. Yeah, I th- I think the time jump works, but I feel like 
there may have been some pacing issues, at least kind of earlier on in the season, that just felt made it feel a little disjointed. It didn't like feel like it flowed properly because mm-hmm. the first episode you get a focus on Kai and Opal, and then we don't see Kai again until the finale. It's he doesn't really even get a speaking line again. He's just there for like filler, right? First action sequences just to have another character right so it just seemed a little weird at times just we were immediately introduced to prince Wu, right from the get-go immediately okay this kind of i'm gonna jump ahead to the finale when i'm talking about prince Wu, just because it ties in i understand he's supposed to be that character who is very annoying and then gets growth and at the end you feel like is more of a competent person and actually has done things that help out. What I didn't like is how in the finale he got his storyline wrapped up when I felt like a lot of characters that I had been really um, invested in didn't get the same sort of tie in their story. We can get to that when we get to the finale. Mm -hmm. I have thoughts about that as well. I will say, though, that they did somehow make him likable. Because he started off and he's so annoying and, like, a douchebag. And in the end, he was likable. I don't think we needed his plot with the badger moles. I felt like that was an unnecessary, you know, a time taken away that could have been used for other things, but I do think they did a good job making him likable. I think when we're talking while we're talking about characters, okay, Bolin to me is the one character every season I'm so back and forth on because I think I liked him the first season. He was you had to like him. You were rooting for him. The second season I hated his storyline. I hated a lot about the second season anyways, but his storyline was one of the things. And then the third season, he kind of got his redemption, and I was liking him. The first half of this season, I did not like him at all. And by the end of the season, I was like, I understand why they made him the way they did, just so he could have that arc. And to me, he's one of those characters where I'm so back and forth. I feel like a lot of the characters I consistently either dislike or like and he's one of those where I'm always so it's hot or cold. I agree. I think this book was Bolin's book. Mm-hmm. Of all of the like kind of side main characters, this was his book because he never really got like a leading plot in any of the other books. Like the Nuktuk stuff was kind of a secondary plot. Everything with book three, he was very secondary. He didn't really, you know, they had him and Mako with their, their family. But again, it wasn't really a focus. But his stuff with Kuvira, I thought, made it very interesting to have, like, good guys working with the villain. I really, honestly liked that stuff. Mm-hmm. Him and Varric as a combination is, like, maybe my favorite character interactions of the entire show. Yes. They work off of each other so well. They do. I think of all the older characters who appeared, like Zuko, Katara, even Aang, Toph was the best role. I thought the use of Toph in both Korra's story and the Beifongs in general, I thought they used her perfectly, and the depiction of old Toph I thought was perfect. 
Yeah, I think I said something. I said, this is what I pictured her as, like, as an old woman. And I agree. Like, every scene she was in, she brought something to it. And it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like they were just trying to throw Toph in there because she was on the show, on Avatar. And I really loved her storyline. Yeah, I mean, can we just briefly touch on Asami's storyline with her dad? Sure. Because... When I first saw that she was getting a scene with her dad, I was actually really excited. Yeah. One, because her dad looks very handsome as an old man. He looks... I want you to look up a picture. Just look up Hayao Miyazaki, who... uh, One of the creators, like, Studio Ghibli. Or Ghibli. I think you can pronounce it either way. I don't know which is correct. Just look up a picture of him. Because they had to have modeled the older Hiroshi after him. Okay, I will. But I got really excited because I felt like for the first time in a while, Asami was getting a storyline that didn't have to be tied up in everyone else's. Right. That was her own individual plot, and that wasn't like a love triangle or love, you know, relationship plot. Right. And so I got really excited because I felt like that was a big part of the first and second book was her relationship with her father. And with the company. Yeah. And we got away from that for a while. I felt like for a long time, Asami just became like a background scene character and would just be tied in with stories and kind of added to the scenes. But I think by the end of it, I don't know how I felt about it because I knew her dad was going to die. We So we watched the last three episodes together and that was something, as soon as he appeared in that workshop when Lindbroke got him out of prison, you were like, oh, he's going to die. Well, there was no reason to bring him out of prison and have him get a little bit of a redemption unless he was going to die. Yeah. There's a lot of things Cora subverts expectations on. That was not one of them. Oh my god, he does look like him. Right? I just found the picture. He looks exactly like him. Okay, so they, they probably did base him off that. But having said that, you know, I, I was conflicted with Asami this season just because my biggest thing with her is I always feel like she's been so underused. Underused, especially with the fighting yeah. as well. She, Do you know that she only got one fight scene this entire season? Right. But on the train. Every fight scene she's in, like, I'm always like, they should use her more. It's confusing to me because I don't like to compare Korra to Avatar, but... In Avatar, there were so many characters who were fighters who weren't vendors. You've got Suki, mm-hmm. you've got Mei and Tai Lee, you've got Sokka. You know, all of those characters are all great fighters and they're not vendors. And in this show, Asami is the only non-vendor and she never gets to do anything. Very rarely, I will say. Book three, she got a lot more to do, mm-hmm. but... It, in general, throughout the entire series, in terms of fighting, she is utilized the least. Yeah, and it's to me it's a shame because every time I watch her fight, I'm like, she's actually a very good fighter considering the fact that she doesn't have any sort of bending. Right, and she's got the cool equalist glove still, yeah. and I love that she uses that. Because every time they go out on like a mission, I always know she's not going to be with them because they're not going to use her in the fight scenes. Or she's the chauffeur. Or she's the driver. Driving. Yeah. yeah. So that, that I guess, bothered me, this this book, and I guess throughout the show. Um, I do want to shift gears a little bit. Okay. One of the things that I did like about this season was 
there was so much conflict with moral values. It is very interesting to see characters who normally would be on the same side Mm -hmm. not be together because you get Korra getting questioned constantly. You know, people aren't believing in her and don't think she can do it. And that's a lot of Korra's journey is being able to come to terms what had happened in book three with the poisoning. And, you know, you got people like Tenzin who are like, I don't know if you can do this and the world leaders. Um, The other thing I liked was how Zaheer was the one who was able to help Korra. Yes. I have a lot of notes about that. Because... It's interesting, and I thought the more I thought about it, the more it made sense to me. I feel like people who know someone's weaknesses the best would be like an enemy. Because Zaheer spent all last book figuring out the things that would make Korra weak, or the things that he could... Uh, what am I trying to say? Like, ways to, to take her down, basically. Yeah. And so he logically would be the one who would be able to help her understand that she is the one who's holding herself back. Yes. And that maybe she doesn't want to get better. Yes. And I also really like that everything that happens in book four is a direct result of his actions. Because he takes down the Earth Queen to create freedom. Yeah. Yeah. To to take away rule world rulers and allow people to lead themselves and you know when Cora goes to talk to him she's like the world is in more chaos now than it ever was before and there's an even worse dictator than the earth queen like Mm -hmm. you've got someone who's even more powerful and power hungry and Zaheer realizes that there's like a look in his face where he's like I've heard about her but I didn't realize that she had gone so far and so then he's willing to be like I will help you to rectify this mistake Yeah, because he truly didn't want that to happen. Yes. He was trying to do the opposite of that. Right. And in his actions, he created the thing that he was actually fearing or trying to avoid. There's also interesting moments with um, Korra and the spirits. Yes. When she goes to them and asks for help. And I think the line is something like, like, what you want is exactly what Kavira wants, which is basically to use spirits as a weapon in as a, a weapon. human war. Right. And I thought that was really interesting, because the more I thought about it, I was like, they have a point. Mm-hmm. is trying to say, like, oh, well, we're just trying to help since we all live in harmony. Right. You should help us. But at the same time, the spirits do have a point. Yes. They're basically just being used or exploited. Right. For the human cause. For the cause. human cause. And that leads to another thing where you've got, like, Sue, who's willing to murder Kuvira. Mm-hmm. You know, not in those exact words, but that's the implication, is that she's, and she's telling Cora, like, you need to go in the Avatar State and take her out. Get rid of her. Meanwhile, you know, last season, that's what Zaheer was doing. He was going and taking out world leaders. So it just kind of, the parallels of right and wrong morally, yeah, it's very interesting to see. And And when is it okay to do those things yes and when does it become too far and you even have Tenzin who's so like we don't want the airbenders to be involved Mm -hmm. and then towards the end of this book he's pretty much like no we'll do what needs to be done done. and that's what I really liked about the Fire Lord this book because we had heard about the Fire Lord um, Fire Lord Izumi is her name is Zuko's daughter and 
she basically says my country and my nation has spent too long fighting you know pointless wars and you know using our power to oppress people and she's like we don't want any part of it unless it's absolutely necessary well i think she agrees to use some of the firebenders for defensive purposes defensive purposes yes but she's like we are not attacking yeah no i love that and i thought that was a good insight into seeing how the fire nation progressed from that time period i guess i kind of want to get into talking about cora okay so i figured there would be fallout and there would be ramifications from last book well if you remember we ended with cora shedding a tear Mm -hmm. in a wheelchair after she had been poisoned and beaten and basically broken by Zaheer. And it's... How do I want to say this? Like, I thought certain aspects of her character they did really well. Though you talked about, like, the PTSD. It's interesting because I didn't do a ton of research into it, but I don't know if any children's shows have dealt with PTSD and done in an effective manner. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it. She keeps getting told by all these people that she's not needed. Yeah. That they have other people that can help. I mean, Tenzin keeps mentioning he has all the airbenders. Toph says that to her, too. She mm-hmm. goes, well, they, they don't need you. And so I feel like part of her is just so down on herself because she feels like she doesn't really have a purpose anymore. I think another part of her, too, is just so scared. And that's what um, Zaheer kind of says to her. He goes, you know, you you clearly don't want to get better. Mm -hmm. And she kind of argues with him, but at the end she does realize that she's probably the one who's holding herself back the most. Yeah. It's interesting that Cora, from previous books, she relies on her strength. She relies on knowing that she's the Avatar. That's She's mentioned that more than once, that like all she ever wanted to be was the Avatar, and she's always seen herself as this figure and this... I don't want to say a superiority complex, but like she take was willing to take on the role. Because Aang, he understood the humanity aspect, but he never wanted to be this like figure, this Avatar, this like leader. And he had to come into that role. Where in this show it's more about Korra already understanding the role of the avatar and she has to come and learn the humanity aspect that Aang already had which I think is a really nice parallel and she kind of mentions at the end I think when she's talking to Tenzin she says I kind of had to go through that to be able to understand and to right. be compassionate towards what and people are going through be able to be empathetic with, yeah. with things she doesn't understand I don't yeah. know that's necessarily like a superiority complex I think it's more just she's so confident in her abilities and in taking on that role that she's just always that's what she's always known that's why I think it hits so hard with this book because she's paralyzed she can't Mm -hmm. walk for like almost two years it's her learning relearning just to move her toes and her being able to walk and bend again and that's hard for her because she's always had her strength and i mentioned this to you that you can notice how much her muscle mass has decreased like if you look at her figure compare her from even last book to this book or in the coralone episode flashbacks and stuff can see the difference like in her her tone muscle tone it's like atrophied 
Yeah, her muscles have atrophied because, you know, she just doesn't have that strength. And also, you know, this dependence on people not needing her and the fact she's not needed in this Avatar role just takes an incredible toll on her, both physically and mentally. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting to watch the first fight between her and Kuvera where she just gets destroyed. Yeah. And she tries to go into the Avatar state and she can't. Right. Or she can't stay in it. And then to watch her final fight with Kuvera. Yes. I love that parallel. Yes. Because... I'm glad they set that up where we got a dual fight. You get to see sort of the progress. And it's not even that big a chunk of time. But I think in that time she's grown so much like within herself. Mm -hmm. Even just like mentally. That I feel like that's what makes the difference. So I love to see that little parallel between those two fights. I did too. Also it was very... This whole book and Kuvera was very reminiscent of like Hitler and Germany yeah I I wrote a note about that that it is a very reminiscent of like Nazism and even with the the males having like the Hitler youth haircut and like the great all hail the great uniter and re-education camps camps, like concentration you know concentration camps and they also they basically anyone who's not an earthbender is deemed you know um undesirable undesirable yeah it's just very i kept seeing like these little things that reminded me of like hitler and germany and i was like clearly that's what they were going for right with with the direction they were trying to get go to here's what i'll say about the finale just as like a brief kind of summary of what i felt there were parts of it that i really loved and i thought were done really well but i think my biggest issue was in the last five to ten minutes so much happened i told you i got confused at points and a lot of characters didn't get any sort of wrap up in their story yeah so what are your thoughts on the fact that the finale of the show was versus a giant mech because i don't know how i feel about it I think it's hard because book three's finale feels more like a series finale in terms of the fight and the scope and all that than book four's does. Yeah, I would agree. That that whole fight sequence felt like that should have been a mid-season yeah. sort of uh, fight. And, and don't get me wrong, there were parts where the scale is humongous. Like you get Lynn sue and bolin dropping a building on it yeah like they cut a building in half and push a building on it or cora finally getting to waterbend because she doesn't ever waterbend ever which i i'm like why please waterbend and she does a huge you know waterbending feat and i'm like thank god and some of the stuff with cora was really well done and i like seeing all the airbenders work together but i just something about the way it played out i just wish i don't know i just didn't feel finale worthy Mm -hmm. i did like during that fight scenes getting to see like there was a scene where tenzin saves janora yes and then the two younger siblings milo and iki iki come and save them and then it happened i think sue saved both her nephews yes like i like those little moments but i agree with you like it didn't feel like the end of a show yeah and even i mean the whole varic wedding it was a way to bring them all together. Yes. But I also just, after the wedding, you basically get 
maybe five minutes. Yep. And it was just so strange to me because it's like a lot of times at the end of a show, you kind of get a sense of where the characters are going to be going. Yeah. And besides maybe three or four of them, I really didn't have a sense. One thing that's always bothered me, you know, since I watched the finale years ago, the fact that Bolin didn't get a proper send-off. Mm-hmm. Because you get a core conversation with Mako, you get a Tenzin conversation, you get an Asami conversation, you don't get anything with Bolin. You get him officiating um, Varric and Julie's wedding, which is very nice, but then you don't get any interactions with him, with any of the main cast. And I just feel like that's always bothered me because Bolin and Korra didn't get a moment the entire season, this whole book. When he comes back, you get a little cheeky Korra smile, which I love, and then her and Mako hug him, but then they don't ever get a moment. I think, too, with how... Bolin got such this like nice arc this book yeah. and for him not to get any sort of proper proper like finish that does bother me. Yeah. What I did like was Korin Asami getting to basically like okay when did this finale air? It was in This was in 2014. I have I have a lot of notes to discuss about, but I just want to hear what your th- thoughts are about the the complete final sh- like shot, you know, and f- last few bits. So when Asami was first introduced, I had no inkling that the two of them would end up together because she was introduced as a love interest for uh, Mako. And I think starting to watch and seeing sort of Korra and her get more interactions you can kind of start to get a sense that maybe it could go so go somewhere. And I think I mentioned that I had heard the name... Kor- the ship name Korasami. Korasami. Yes. And I was like, oh, it must be the two of them. I mean, you can infer from that final scene that, at least I did, that they're implying they end up together. Or at that point, at that time, they do. I think with shows, especially shows aimed at people for a younger audience, I think that representation matters. I think it's important to portray non... What am I trying to say? Traditional. Traditional relationships, like... Or even just diversity, having stuff like that. I think it matters. And I don't know if I was, like... I'm trying to picture myself as, like, a 10, 11-year-old. If watching that scene, I would have understood that that was the implication. I don't know. Okay. So, this is from, um, I think this is Brian again, um, his Tumblr account. This was posted maybe the day or two after it aired, and this is just a, I just want to read a little bit directly from his post and then talk a little bit about some other things he says, but here's what he says. So he has a header that just says, Korsami is canon. You can celebrate it, embrace it, accept it, get over it, or whatever you feel the need to do, but there's no denying it. That is the official story. We received some wonderful press in the wake of the series finale at the end of last week, and just about every piece I read got it right. Korra and Asami fell in love. Were they friends? Yes, and they still are, but they also grew to have romantic feelings for each other. So then they go, um, he goes on to talk about how that was not planned from the start. I've mentioned before that Asami was originally supposed to be an equal spy, and they just loved her character so much that they included her in the main story. 
And they also knew that Mako and Korra weren't going to end up together after book two. They had always planned to have them remain separate. And so, you know, they'd brought it up, you know, like, oh, wouldn't it be, you know, interesting to pair Korra and Mm -hmm. Asami together? Or, you know, they also thought about just having Korra end up with no one. He mentions that they they were always under the impression that they wouldn't be allowed to depict a same-sex couple um, on a Nickelodeon show. So... They subtly dropped little hints, you know, here and there, you know, throughout book three. I showed you a picture where their um, uh, belts have little hearts on them mm-hmm. in a scene where Korra and Asami together. And, you know, they have little moments and things that you could interpret like, oh, maybe it's kind of flirty, you know. Well, so the beginning of this book when she's writing letters. Right. She, um, she has never written back to Mako or Bolin, but she writes to Asami and kind right. of the the way she words things like you can definitely pick up on stuff yes you can interpret it to be romantic right you could also interpret it to just be that they're friends it's yeah yeah so they left it kind of ambiguous what i do like though which a lot of shows do this similar thing with same sex um where they do these little hints and then they never end up together or never have any implication that they end up together so i like that what you just read that he comes out and says like yes Yes. this is what we intended this is actually what happened i I do like that so they then said you know they had thought oh you can't we can't you know write a same-sex couple in the show but then they were like oh but why can't we Mm -hmm. so for the finale they approached nickelodeon the producers and asked if this is something they can do and he says that while they were supportive there was a limit to how far they could go with it So then they talk about how, was it a slam dunk victory for queer representation? This is a direct quote, by the way. I'm just reading again from his Tumblr account. I think it falls short of that, but hopefully it is somewhat significant inching forward. It has been encouraging how all the media and the bulk of the fans have embraced it. They said that the particular decision wasn't only done for us. We did it for all our queer friends, family, and colleagues. It is long overdue that our media, including children's Mm -hmm. media, stops treating non-heterosexual people as non-existent or something merely to be mocked. I'm only sorry it took us so long to have this kind of representation in one of our stories. They also confirmed that Korra is bisexual. I I believe Asami is also bisexual as well. I think that it's sort of amazing to see a show like that and i don't even know if nowadays i mean i clearly i don't watch kids shows i know that there's the show um she-ra yeah i know that there's queer representation in that show i've never seen it so i don't i can't speak for any of that Mm -hmm. wasn't there someone in young justice wasn't there i believe there was oh uh aqualette oh right right our favorite um oh my god which we thought him and um calder calderon and um garth if you've ever seen young justice calderon is aqualad there's an episode in season one where he goes home and he's got this girl tula that he's in love with and the other guy i can't remember what his name <laughs> is but he and the girl together aqualad sad we 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 did our own headcanon that aqualad and the guy would end up together season three rolls around and you get a scene where uh, Calder is is kissing a merman. Which we thought was the guy from season one. We thought it was the guy from season one. It was not. It was a different <laughs> man altogether. 
Which broke our hearts. Talk Still happened, but about broke our hearts. 24 hours of just agony when we realized it wasn't. We had pure joy for 24 hours, and then the next episode it became abundantly clear that that was not who we thought it was. But getting back to what I was saying, it's just... When we were kids, I don't remember ever seeing same-sex couples besides... Like, Will and Grace, which we didn't watch so, Will and Grace. So, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which we didn't watch, but that was the first on-screen kiss between two women in um, Willow and Taylor's a relationship in that show, and they are a um, I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, specifically couple. of when we were, like, younger, like, shows that we would have watched. Because um, I've seen shows that aired when right. we were younger for, like, high schoolers that do. But Honestly... I know the first time we were we ever saw anyone who was transgendered was America's Next Top Model. Yes. One of the um, one of the models was a, a transgendered woman who was competing on the show, and I remember that being my first introduction to that specifically. But I can't think of there really was not representation. I mean, I think this is the first children's show to portray a um, a like a same sex couple. And or like a bisexual mm-hmm. uh, character in the show, and I think it's it was something like I wish when we were kids we could have had something like oh, that. Oh yeah, it's just I think it's good what he said. You know, it's not it's for those people who feel underrepresented, who don't get to see, who don't get to look at like a TV show, watch a TV show, and see what their everyday life is like. Right. Also, what they said is that it opens the door for people mm-hmm. to do more. Because yeah. clearly, for the most part, it was a positive reception yeah. to that fact. And the fact that, you know, networks can see that it's a positive reaction, that allows them to be more willing to take more risks and allow for more, you know, different forms of representation. Yeah. I think part of me, when I saw that, thought maybe they could be a couple, I was like, well, it was Nickelodeon in mid-2010s. They wouldn't do that. And I remember when the final scene came on, and I was like, they're really going to do it. And I didn't know to what extent they would. I didn't assume they would have them, like, kiss or anything. Which you said, you know, there was a limit to what they could do. Yes. But I think the the fact that the implication was there and that they've come out and said that that's what they intended to do. I just think it's... I don't know. I just think it's, like, an amazing thing. Like, I would love for, like, my kids to be able to watch something like that. I remember being online while it was airing, even in book three and especially in book four, where uh, people were very much like wanting, you know, Korosami, mm-hmm. Koronasami to get together and be a thing. And people were always like, oh, but I don't, I don't know if that would be allowed, you know. Yeah. And I remember watching the finale and I assumed, well, one that her and Mako talk, so I'm like, I don't think that implies romantic relations i think that's more of like a friend like bond kind of thing and then i was like okay we get a final scene with tenzin i'm like that seems like a good way to you know you know end the journey and then asami shows up and i'm like oh interesting and then as soon as they held hands i was like okay this is for sure they're trying Mm -hmm. to depict you know a a more than friends scenario here and i think it's interesting you were reading off his tumblr that He said, you know, it started out as a friendship and it can grow into something more. And I think it's happened with certain TV shows where certain actors or actresses will just have this chemistry and they don't even intend for that relationship to be a thing. But when they see how it 
how fans react to it and how right. stuff like that, it kind of can push them and motivate them to go that direction. But I actually love that that was the final scene. Yeah. The music was really, mm-hmm. like, tender and light and kind of, it sounded very romantic. Yeah. You know, it gave it that sort of feel. And it was a very, like, simple I liked mm-hmm. that there was no dialogue. I liked that it was just, like, them together and just peaceful. It relied on showing, not telling. Yes. Um, and I didn't think there really needed to be, like, dialogue there. I think what's also something I noticed is, so the last line of Avatar is, I think Toph is like, you all look perfect to me. And then when they're going on this trip in Legend of Korra, Sami says, sounds perfect, or Korra says, sounds perfect. So it ends okay. like, they both kind of end with the same, same. kind of dialogue yeah. and also ends with the, you know, Katara and Aang kissing at the end, you yeah. know, leading into the, the finale. So I liked that it was a similar type of feel, but, you know, different enough. Mm-hmm. I think when I look back and if I go back and rewatch the show, the finale to me would kind of just fall mid-pack in terms of finales of shows I've watched but that specific scene to me would be one that I remember. I would completely agree because going into this I I had mentioned that I hadn't watched it all the way through in a long time and in thinking about book four that was for sure one of the scenes that I was you know I could vividly remember. It's good to see and I think even though maybe it's not as important now because I mean representation still has a long mm-hmm. way to go but it's a lot easier to find different forms of representation mm-hmm. in media um, for both you know a- adults and children yeah but I think it still has a sends a really good message and has a really good I don't know what the word I'm looking for is I mean in, in a way they were sort of like a trailblazer yes in one core is a, a um, non-white female protagonist mm-hmm. to begin with right you know just to start and yeah. also bisexual so right so that you got that yeah i don't know i just i think it was it's more important than just the story yes you know it it has it's the personal way it affects mm-hmm. people and allows them to see themselves yeah. in in media and it has impact in the real world in people's lives and i think that sometimes can mean a lot more than then I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to right. say. Cora uh, also has comics. I know I've mentioned that Avatar had um, comics that extended the show. There are comics for Cora, and they explicitly, it's be- very clear that they are in a relationship right. in those comics. Yeah. So in case it, it wasn't clear that it is a canon thing. It's clear there. It's clear there. It's made very clear. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty much all I had to say about the finale. Yeah, that's really all I have about book four specifically. I've got some things to talk about when we talk about the end of the show. We can we can get into that. Well, I guess we start with favorite line. The one I chose, I've just always stuck with me. It's always stuck with me, and it's a quote I, I always remember, even after the show's been over, and it's um, specifically, it's from the scene from Korra alone, where Katara and Korra are talking, and she is like at her wit's end you know she's just like basically yelled at Katara about how she can't heal her and she's you know doing all this and Katara's talking about Aang 
it's a couple sentences, so I'll just read the whole thing. So guitarist is like, he chose to find meaning in his suffering and was able to eventually find peace. And Cora says, you know, what am I going to find if I get through this? Guitarist says, I don't know, but won't it be interesting to find out? Mm -hmm. And I just really, I don't know what it is about the quote, but it just has always stuck with me. And I think it just is so impactful, like on Cora's journey throughout this book. Yeah, that was one of the quotes I considered. The one I went with was one that, I don't know why it's like stuck out to me. It was actually, what's his name? The kid we were just talking about who doesn't get a lot of lines. Um, Kai? Kai. Okay. And it was maybe the first episode and they're in the town trying to help get them the food. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to like the... Oh, the the town, like yeah. the mayor guy, yeah. And he said... Kai goes, for what it's worth, I think you made the right decision. And the guy goes, did I ever even really have, have a, a choice? choice? Yeah. And just something about that, like, stuck with me. I, I immediately wrote it down, and I kept going back to that one. Because it's true. The way Couvert was going about it, they didn't have a choice. Yeah. C- Comedy-wise, I could have picked so many Varric lines. Yeah. There were pretty much any of his. Any of Varric's lines yeah. could have fit. His stuff is great. Special shout-out to Varric. Best scene? Yeah. This is the category I struggled the most with. Mm -hmm. I have, because I think one of the things book four really excels at is it does small moments really well. So I had a ton. I could, I just want to like mention them. Do you just have like one that you want to do? I have a couple. Okay, so. Um, One of mine was the scene between Korra and um, Katara that you had just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I love the dialogue, I also just love that for the first time you kind of got to see her have a little bit of hope. Yes. So I love that. Another one I considered was Cora and Zaheer. Okay. Because I really loved, again, loved the dialogue between them, and I loved how you could see in Zaheer's face that he didn't intend for what happened to happen. So that's the one I actually ended up picking. Okay. But So I went with the final scene. I had that. It was on my list, yeah. Just because, like I said, I think it meant so much more to such a huge group of people. Yeah. To be on the show. It was one of those scenes that transcends the show. Right. And I was going to go with the Zaheer and Cora scene until I saw the final scene. And And I was like, just how simplistic it was that they didn't need dialogue and that they were able to use that music, which the show does so well oh yeah they use music very well um but yeah just just that scene i loved it at the end yeah so i ended up picking corin zaheer the scene with where she's writing asami the letter just the montage of her in this recovery and trying to bend and meditate i really liked that the varic and julie's wedding i thought was a really nice scene Mm -hmm. the the end scene i basically i just all-inclusive cora talking with tenzin and asami and the end all together all of varic and bolin and yeah the reason i picked the cora and zaheer scene we already talked about it a lot but it just felt so good and so right and perfect in the way for her to continue her growth because Mm -hmm. you get her and katara and you get her and toph her rejoining her friends and you know Tenzin and the airbenders and she still has this block and Zaheer is such an interesting villain that I love that we get to see him in a mentor role Mm -hmm. for Korra 
because that's what he always wanted. He was going to be her airbending master and be her teacher. And so it's very interesting to see him in that role. Not in the way that was intended, but he still is that spiritual guide for her. Especially, I'll talk about it more when we talk about the show as a whole, but because Korra didn't have that Roku role in this show. She had multiple people to guide her and lead mm-hmm. her. So it was it was very interesting to have Zaheer. Yeah. It's just a really well done scene. I agree. Favorite fight? Yes. I knew what this fight was going to be from before I even started this book. I'm kind of curious to see what yours is first. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. So I knew it was going to be my answer before I even watched this book in this order because it's a a fight that has always been so cool as a whole it's the Beifongs versus Kuvira and specifically Sue versus Kuvira that is some of the cleanest fight animation in the entirety of both shows the utility of metal bending is so well done her making the shield is like the best three seconds I've ever seen. And then she pulls the pole off and there's whips and Kuvir's you it's it's so well done. It's such it's a short scene, but it is so well done. I wrote let me let me just read you a quote. Excuse my language. Sue V. Kuvira fight is fucking clean. Yeah. Mine was the exact same fight. Great. I went back and watched that scene with the armor part. Maybe ten times. I watched it three times. Because I literally, I saw it happen, and I was like, wait, hold on. I didn't catch it the first time. I was like, what just happened? But I love metal bending. I love to watch it. And just to see two people who are so good at it, and to watch, like, how intricate it was, and it was amazing. Um, My favorite episode actually was Operation Bayfall. Okay. I love the character interactions. I love to see Toph and Sue and Lynn. <laughs> My favorite was when, <laughs> how are you doing, mother? I told you never to call me that. Yeah. she No, there's a, I wrote this note. I said, Lynn and Toph greeting each other saying, hey, chief. Yes. Is me and Alyssa levels of awkwardness. Yes. It's <laughs> like, oh, wait, we been, haven't talked in a while. I'll try like 30 yeah. years. I love the fighting scenes and the music. Like, I got the biggest chills when Toph comes and just earth bends the shit out of everyone at the end, you know, when she comes and yes. saves them all. And just that whole episode I loved. There was just something about it where it was, I think it might have been the one, I don't know if it was the one right after that recap. No, so it, it was, was two the recap. After. Ten okay. was Operation Beifong. But just, I... It was like 22 minutes in the entire time I just felt so glued into it. So that was um, a runner-up episode. I, I wrote in my side note that episode 9 and 10 are very, very solid episodes mm-hmm. as just like looking at an episode basis, but I, I ended up picking Cora alone, the second episode. And the reason I picked it is I, I think the structure... And the way they're able to go from scene to scene is so well done. Why are you smiling? I just got so confused. Yeah, I know you. Hannah got very confused while watching it. She thought Toph was in the spirit world and she thought she was dead. And 
But I will say, I went back and rewatched the episode, and it did become a lot more clear. One of the things I find really interesting about the episode is um, Spirit Korra. And particularly the fact that that's Korra's white rabbit Mm -hmm. from Alice in Wonderland, you know, chasing the white rabbit and you can never catch it. And this whole episode is her trying to grapple with her inner demons, you know, her white rabbit, this spirit Korra from her fight with Zaheer. And I just thought all of the interactions with other characters, like her stuff with with um, Katara was really well done. You know, her scene with Tenzin, the parallel to the first episode. When we were watching the episode, we had talked about how there's the fight scene where Tenzin comes to visit and she's fighting the firebenders and the music and the way it's shot is parallel to book one. And just to watch her falter and fail and continue to feel like she can't go back to her public city and she's just suffering and coming to terms with her identity, cutting her hair, you know, feeling like she can't be the avatar because she's no longer this person anymore and she's living this like other life and finding Toph at the end. I just thought the way the storytelling is done is very unique singular episode and that's only focused on Korra which I think was really necessary and really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so for top three characters for this book. Yes. My number three it had to be Varric. I think for me it was like anytime I struggled in this book he would come in a scene and just like remind me why I love the show. You yeah. know and he was just that to me, Varric is like this consistent presence. You know what you're going to get, and it's going to be amazing. I agree. So for my number three, I actually picked Bolin. Because I think... Did you hear that? <laughs> my, my throat gurgled. <laughs> that. I picked Bolin because I think, as I've said, this was his book. I liked that he got a focal plot and storyline that was about moral issues you know his relationship with his family with you know opal i loved his interactions with varic i liked even after he's left kuvir's army and he's working with the Bayfongs and and his like lines were funny because i've had some issues with you know his humor in previous books but i just felt like Previously, I mentioned I didn't think he got a lot of fight scenes. His choreography was consistently not great, but I thought he got a lot to do in this book, especially with the lava bending, working with, you know, working with the Bayfong. So I just think he really shined. He was actually my number two. Okay. And going into that book, I never would have imagined Bolin being in my top three. Right. But... Like you said, the way they made his story arc, this this book specifically, it just really sold me on his character. Um, and it felt weird for me because it was either going to be him or Asami in my top three. And I think the reason why Asami didn't make it and he did is just because her story besides the stuff with her dad, this book kind of lacked. And I felt like Bolin, he was given so much material to work with. And I think they did it about as good as they could have done for him. I agree. So my number two is Varric. For the same reasons you've listed, he is just so consistent as a character. 
every character he has scenes with, he elevates them, like makes them look better, but he also elevates the scenes in general. Special shout out to um, John Michael Higgins who voices him mm-hmm. because it's the voice is a lot of what I think makes Varric great. His his like exuberance and his like kind of quirkiness and this like charismatic figure um, is just great. Yeah. My number one was Korra. Yeah, it's Korra. I don't think we really need to go into too much detail, but I just think that this book, she had such a journey, and I think she grew from it so much, gained so much from it, that yeah. it really felt like a complete um, arc. arc for her. I agree. It, it felt like she had reached the end of her journey to self-discovery and learning how to do the, the humanity side of the Avatar. Mm-hmm. So we're done with book four. We finished book four. We do have some final rankings we wanted to do. Did you want to talk? Yeah, do you want to talk about just some some general thoughts about the show as a whole before we do some overall rankings? Yeah. So I went back and listened to our pre-show uh, recording and questionnaire. And I just wanted to talk about some of the things that you, you had said. I basically was wrong about everything. Um, I mean, not terribly. The one thing you did, you were very positive that Korra was relative of Aang. You thought it was either his daughter or granddaughter. I'm not sure where whatever you got that information from, but... I don't either. Maybe because she kind of looks like Katara when she was younger? Maybe because you knew she was in the Water Tribe, so I you don't just... know. Clearly you didn't that was say right. it was Katara's daughter. You just said it was Aang's, well, Aang's relative. Like a, okay, like I don't know. Um, so then I asked you about what characters would you want to see return if they were able to. You would cut me off to say Zuko, which we got to see Zuko. Which we get to say Zuko. You asked you wanted to see Katara. You wanted to see Azula. Yeah, I did, and <laughs> a little bit of me is bummed that I never know what happened with Azula. Yeah. We also didn't see any Suki. No. No, we got anything with Suki or, like, May or Ty Lee. Um, you wanted to see an old Sokka. You thought he would be good humor-wise, and I'm still a little salty that he got the shaft. He did. He did. And you also, you assumed we would be unable to see Iroh because he was dead, and I'm glad to say that you were wrong. Well, I figured we wouldn't see him as like a live person but i was glad to see him in the spirit world yes and so the last thing um <laughs> the last thing is you'd forgotten about Toph. uh you didn't I also say thought about she wouldn't have any kids yes you i asked you what you thought she would have been doing you said she would not have been married she would have no kids and you thought she would have been a bending mentor or teacher i mean to be fair she did make a whole metal army. And you did say um, you wanted to see Korra be trained by older the older members of Team Avatar. Which we did get. Which we did get some of that. So I, those are just a few things that I thought were interesting from your thoughts before the show started. And the only other thing I have written down um, is just, if you didn't know, Kuvira is voiced by Zelda Williams, who is Robin Williams' daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I just, did not know that. That was just an interesting fact that I had written down. I think the past, like, ten minutes we've been talking, I've just trying to been process how I feel about the show. And I think because I just finished it, I don't fully know. Right. But I think overall, I'm happy with it. 
I think we got to see a lot of really interesting characters. Um, I love to see Korra, just her whole journey she went through. And I loved that I felt like a lot of the characters in the show that were main characters were female, which I love to see, um, especially a show that it could have been geared more towards like younger male audience. So that was cool to see. I think if I had to right now compare Avatar to Korra, which one was my favorite, I probably would still give it to Avatar. But having said that, I think I had lower expectations and I think this show actually like exceeded what I thought it would do. So I think overall Korra is a good show. Mm -hmm. I think collectively it is not as strong as Avatar. Part of that is due to production issues. I think that really hindered a lot of things. I think part of the reason why book two does not work is because it wasn't in production at the same time as book one, so it feels very disjointed. And issues with book four, issues with, you know, within the way things were done and the fact that Avatar was so cohesive and they were given the freedom to do what they wanted, whereas this show, it just... I think about what it could have been, how they could have done things differently, and I think that's the one thing that's hard, is it's like imagining how things could have been different is like makes me sad because I part of me thinks it could have been even cohesively could have been better than Avatar because there's some things they do really well I think small moments are done amazingly well in Korra they're able to capture things and um, topics that they weren't able to do they're able to explore new um, moral issues or you know, relationship issues because the characters are a little bit older mm -hmm. and, you know, murder, you know, the airbending, killing the Earth Queen, like that would have never happened in Avatar. So I just think that it's hard to compare Avatar to Korra because the structure also is so different. You know, the way that there's a new villain every book, the way that there's a different theme and there's not one big bad to f to fight at the end i think leads to different dynamics and and a different story structure that makes them hard to compare like parallel but overall i really like cora there's a lot of things that are done really well but there there are some issues mm -hmm. unfortunately that keep it from being like an amazing show i agree um so what we're going to do is rank all the seasons in order yes yeah. yeah so we're gonna do what our favorite episode was of the whole series and then also our favorite either scene or like fight mm -hmm. sequence and also we're going to uh have a top five character ranking mm -hmm. okay so i think we should start with the best episode okay. our favorite episode i have to go with it's technically two parts the beginnings mm-hmm it was so interesting. I loved the kind of storybook animation they did on it. It was a really interesting story. And I also think, like, that fight at the end between, um... Uh, Rava and 
Vatu. Rava 1 and Vatu. Yes. No, uh, Vatu and... It's Juan. Juan. Yes. Oh, yeah. Rava okay. and Juan okay. when they combine. Yeah. I gotcha. I, but anyways, I just, I really love that. And that was one where I was like, if they had made that into a show, I would have watched that show. So that was my runner-up favorite episode, or my honorable mention, was Beginnings Part 1 and 2. Coralone is my favorite episode of the series. For all the reasons I, I had, you know, mentioned, I've already talked about it a lot, but I think it just, the structure is done so well that I don't think there's a wasted moment in that episode. There's nothing about that episode that I wish would have been done differently. So I didn't really do a favorite fight, I just did my favorite scene. Okay. And it was Janora's scene where she becomes an airmaster. Yeah. I love that moment, I love the music, and I loved seeing the comparison or the parallels of how happy Janora was to how defeated and down Cora was. And it wasn't a lot of dialogue. So to me, that scene was just so complex. But the music, I just remember, like, I got chills. Um, I guess if I had to pick a favorite fight, probably actually Tenzin versus Sahir. I just love to see how powerful Tenzin was. And I love that whole sequence of fighting. Uh, so for the fight, I picked um, Vatu versus Juan, and then eventually him and Raba combined together to become the Avatar. And that, I mean, for the reasons you said, begins with part one and two, is the music is so well done. The visuals are great. The storytelling is really well done. And for my favorite scene, I picked the ending to book three. The Janora getting your tattoos, mm -hmm. the, the song service and sacrifice, the way... It makes me feel emotionally. I think I've cried every time I've watched that scene. And I've seen it a couple times and I either always tear up or cry because it just it just hits you so hard because it's so both joyous and sad at the same time. You see this Aang's legacy and the way it's just the extension of Korra causing this to happen, but she also is broken and i just yeah it's such a well done you know there's no dialogue either amazing scene mm -hmm. okay so top five characters yes um number five <laughs> had season or sorry book four not happened this character would not have been in my top five mm -hmm. it was bolin okay he actually eats in my top five mostly just because there was a moment in one of the last episodes where i was just thinking back to when i first was introduced to bolin and I just thought, like, he's come so far. And I don't know. There was something about that last book. It might have been one of my favorite, like, character arcs the show did as a whole. But just seeing him come into his own and being able to lava bend, watching him lava bend in those scenes and just remembering where he was at the first book and kind of just being, like, a sad puppy dog like in love with Cora it just it makes me sad to think like you said that he didn't really get his proper tie-up ending so Bullen almost made my top five but I had to give the fifth spot to Zaheer because I think he is by far the most compelling villain every scene he was in was so interesting the way he thought about things and the way he spoke and 
the fact that it was an airbending villain, mm-hmm. I think just it was he's just such a captivating and fun to watch, and I didn't I never disliked him, even though he was evil. Like I never hated him. I never like I could understand his point of view. He was clearly wrong, but I could understand the way he thought about the world and saw it. Yeah, he was my sixth. He swapped with Bolin. Number four, and I think had book four not happened, he would have been higher, was Tenzin. Okay. For me, he was that steady, consistent kind of um, wisdom. Like, he was always the person who could kind of ground Korra. I think, for me, though, at the end, he did kind of fall a bit. But getting to watch his fighting style... Versus how we know Aang used to fight, getting to see the power behind his fighting and just him kind of always being that character who people could rely on is why I put him in my top five. Tenzin is in my top five, but not my number four. My number four spot, I picked Asami. So I wish I could have ranked Asami higher because I just love her and her fashion as a character in general, but it just, she just never got a solid good story she always had bits and pieces that were good and her interactions with characters were always good but just she never got that arc or that specific journey that led her to grow into herself i feel like she's still on that journey Mm -hmm. at the end of the show because she loses so much and i think the journey is her relationship with Korra to be honest I think that's where her growth is so I I wanted to rank her higher but I felt I couldn't yeah I put her as number three um I agree with what you said I think at times she was kind of like a throwaway character and she was kind of brought in as that love interest but I feel like she grew a lot she definitely went through a lot um and I wish we could have seen more of her because every time she was in a scene I always felt like I was drawn to her and I was wanting her to get more to do. And I agree with you. I think for her, like her journey is essentially just beginning. She obviously just lost her dad. And so I think for her, it's like about the the arc for past the show. But her outfits are always on point. Iconic. They're so iconic. and Her dress in the finale. Yeah. So good. And it's interesting that I just said she was brought in as a love interest for uh, Mako because if you think about it, it's like technically she was brought in as a love interest for Korra even if they didn't know it. But having said that, I like that she didn't just stay in the background as a love interest the entire time. She did get her story outside of that. I just think that the writing is what held her back from becoming like a top two character for me. So number three, I picked Varric, and Varric is the only reason other than Beginnings that book two was entertaining. He was a breath of fresh air to the cluster and terror that was the beginning of book two. He was barely present in book three, but he was the star of book four. Everything he was involved with him was just so amazing, and he's so entertaining and so likable, and he's even a villain. I forget that he technically is, like, a wanted criminal mm-hmm. because he blew up the the water tribe, you know, sent the cultural center and tried to kidnap the president, and the fact that someone 
who is like this anti kind of a you know a villain role is so likable and so well loved i think is just he's so great yeah my number two is fair do the thing do the thing yes to me it's like i said earlier he was always the most consistent character in a good way in that i was never disappointed Every time he was, like, in a scene, I saw he was going to be in a scene, like, I smiled because I knew something good was about to happen. His humor was just always there, and even with that episode, with the clips where they went back, he almost saved the episode for me. Just his segment, just how animated he was. His bullshit bullen adding him into yeah. the a finale of book two that made no sense. Right. The fact that he was literally going to blow up the train at the end there. Like, just everything about Varric. And it's so interesting because, to me, when he was introduced, I didn't realize what a big character and one of my favorite characters he would become. And so it was just, I don't know. I love to see him in it. You love to see a, a late edition character become a fan favorite. Yeah. So number two, I picked Tenzin. And I honestly am okay with how little he got to do in book four. I feel like book three was what book four was for Bolin. Book three was Tenzin. We get the resurgence of the Air Nation and him trying to rebuild and regain this sense of normalcy and culture and passing along, you know, the family lineage because, you know, his dad was the last airbender. And he now is able to continue and evolve the legacy. And he was always this mentor and, you know, advisor to Korra. He's also just was so interesting to watch as a character. And I think when we get to book four, Korra doesn't necessarily need him the same way she had previously. So I think that's why it works that he's not necessarily like a main role that he had been, you know, even throughout all the other books, you know, one, two, and three, he was a bit more involved in the story and I think it's okay that he wasn't I mean I always wish he would be involved more but I think his role was fine I've always really liked Tenzin and his, yeah, his fighting and role as the mentor is really well done um number one has to be Korra Korra yep I mean it's so interesting because I remember when the show first started I was a little undecided on her and I couldn't figure out why it was that her character was hard for me to figure out. And I think in this last book, when you get to see her learn more of that humanity, and you get to see like all the complexities of her character, and like watching her fight, like she's so strong, she's so powerful. There was a scene in it was one of the final fights where she picks up like four or five boulders at the same time. She lands and immediately lifts four giant chunks of earth into the air. Yeah. And you just get to see her grow a lot. I love to watch character growth. That's one of my favorite things to watch in a show. And to kind of see how she's able to... In the beginning, there's a lot of her that's still there in the end. But she gets so much more complexities to her character and she learns so much and she becomes vulnerable she is able to admit that you know she wasn't okay i don't know there's just something about watching her fight watching her just grow that's amazing to watch i agree i think her overall growth of the show is similar in a sense to azuko 
just the way she's able to evolve and grow, but still, you know, maintain some sense of herself. Because you look at book one, where Tenzin even said it, she's like, you can't solve, you know, by force. Like, you can't force your way through everything. Like, her idea of solving problems is, is by fighting. Her versus Tarlock. He's like, isn't didn't you come here to oppress and intimidate me, you know, with your bending? And by the end, she doesn't even want to fight Kuvira. She just wants to talk initially, and fighting is, becomes the last resort. So I think it's really interesting to see how she's able to, she's able to keep her sense of confidence, but in a way that's it's self-assured and it's not at the expense of other people. She's able to work with others and keep true to herself, but also is able to understand other people's points of views. And as she said, yeah, learn how to become a more compassionate person, which I think she did become quite a bit more compassionate and understanding and able to relate to people on a more personal level that she was unable to because she, she said it herself, she grew up in a compound, you know, she never had any friends and, you know, was always surrounded by people who were telling her how great she was and preparing her for this life of, like, grandeur. And so she never was able to understand people in a way that she's able to by the end of the show. Yeah. So we can rank the seasons. Book two was the Book absolute two. worst. Book two is the fourth. I don't want to talk about it. It's rough. Okay. So I ended up going with season four as my third. I did as well. Okay. The reason being, we just talked a lot about it, but I think that the journey for Cora was really great, but the way certain characters were not given time, and we talked about how there was too much, they were trying to do too much stories for characters, the ending wasn't my favorite in terms of how I wish they would have given characters more of a wrap-up. And I think Kuvera, I wish we would have gotten to see more of her backstory because at the end of the day, I don't think she... I think I may have liked Amon more than her because at least with him, we did get some backstory. But yeah, to me, it it felt flat in more aspects than I would have liked. Yeah, I put book four for similar reasons. I think there are a lot of small moments and specific scenes that are some of my favorites. I've said Coralone's my favorite episode of the entire show. But as a individual unit, I just think there are some issues that are hard to overlook. Some of the issues with char- you know, character time investment between characters and the finale not really feeling like a show finale, I think really affect the way I'm able to look at it in an individual level. Because I was trying to think if we didn't have this connection to these characters, would I have liked it just looking at it independently? Because the reason I think I like so much of the stuff is because we have these bonds with these characters. Like all the stuff with Sue and Lynn. I love it. But if we wouldn't have had, you know, book three and we wouldn't have had, you know, book one and book two, we wouldn't have gotten to that point. So I don't know. It's got, a, it's got some issues. Yeah. Um, number two, I went with the book one. Same. I do think Aman is a strong villain until the end kind of falls flat. But 
we did get to learn a lot about his backstory. I also think to me, which it made more sense once you told me it was just supposed to be the series and be done, it did feel very complete. It felt wrapped up the way they ended it. I liked a lot of the like writing and humor in the first book. And I don't know, it's just, I think it was exciting for me. It's always exciting to get into a new show. And I think a lot of times the first season of a show can suffer. But I felt like we got strong enough characters the first book that I didn't feel that. But, you know, just in terms of what we got for villain, what we got in terms of character interactions, obviously there wasn't a ton of development just because it's only the first season. But I, I enjoyed it. I think it was maybe, for me, the most, like, lighthearted, enjoyable book. Yeah, so I put book one as number two as well. I think that book one... <laughs> I think that book one, as a season, is really well done with the exception of the finale. I think that they were able to do anticipation and suspense really well from episode to episode. And I think there are some pacing issues and the finale has some issues, but I think because it was intended to just be a miniseries, I think that really helps the book feel very cohesive and great characters. There's a lot of great fighting. I think while there are some issues, it's very strong and it is fun. To me, season three is, if you look at it as a, a collective season, it's so much better than the other three books. I'm honestly, with all of the production issues Cora had, I am amazed that book three was able to happen. Because it is so strange how good book three is. I think I talked about how I think book three is the best book between both shows as a just looking at an individual mm -hmm. book i think it just tells the story so well the characters all shine all of the villains are great the way the story builds from start to finish and the storylines they decided to go with all work so well yeah it's the most compelling group of villains i love so much of the fight sequences the character interactions were so good. The way they grouped certain characters together, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to work. The new characters all yeah. worked really well. And like you said, a lot of characters got really good moments. And it was just so much stronger. As soon as I started writing down the list to rank the books, it immediately was my number one. And I was like, it's not even close for me. I don't think there's any question that book three is exceptionally well done and it's so strange that it is so clearly the superior book that it's hard for me to understand like imagine if all the books were as good as book three how amazing of a show would that be it, i mean it probably would have been like one of my favorite shows of all time yeah but, i mean we talked about the finale so many times the finale is so well done yeah it feels like a series finale yeah, and at times it's like, I almost wish that's what this last finale could have been. Yeah. Because it did just feel so much like a series finale. It just, it, it is kind of amazing how you can go book two to book three and just <laughs> how big of a jump that was. You think because of how 
poor book two was that they like pushed really hard to make book three great like how they compare cars three yes with cars two yeah i don't know like do you think that's why it excelled so much is because they were working with such a a not great foundation that they were able just to kind of go off crazy with it and to kind of just erase the drawing board yeah. and restart i don't know but i mean they they restarted the air nation yeah like that is not something that you would have thought is was possible like that came out of nowhere and just started a new season with a completely like fresh storyline i don't know breath of fresh air it was as the first episode was called i think yeah i agree that is cora that is cora we did it we have been watching cora how many months probably three yeah it's been a long time next week yes we're coming at you with more of a light-hearted yes non-time consuming episode very non-serious bye (laughs) (laughs) we would like to thank joseph mcdade for our intro music He provides free music available for all kinds of creative use. The song that we used is called Sunrise Expedition, and you can find it and his other music on his website, josephmcdade.com. If you would like to reach us, you can email us at r3podcasts at gmail.com. That's R, the number three, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram by searching research rank repeat.